Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Well, welcome everybody to Week to Week, the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California from Monday, July 11th, 2016. Um, So this week, former Texas Governor Rick Perry, he redefined Donald Trump's wall. Remember, Trump wants to build a wall and make the Mexican pay for it. Governor Perry said, it's not a real wall, it's going to be a technological wall, unquote, digital wall, unquote. And he says the Mexicans will still pay for it. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Of course, everything technological, doesn't banner ads pay for it? I mean, (laughs) anyway, uh, thanks for joining us here today in San Francisco. Um, I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. Uh, Lots to talk about today. We'll, of course, discuss the shootings across the country, the presidential campaigns heading into their national conventions, a barrage of state propositions that are going to make this a very thick ballot in November here in California, Uh, homelessness and some other political news. So as always, I note that the Commonwealth Club has people of wide variety of views. They're all welcome here. Any views you hear expressed up here tonight are those solely of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Let's meet our panelists for today. I'm going to start on the far end of the stage with Melissa Kane. She's a political analyst with CBS San Francisco and SFGate.com. She's on Twitter at Melissa Kane one Next to her is Dr. James Taylor, Director of African American Studies and a Professor of Political Science at the University of San Francisco. He's also a lecturer in the African American and African Diaspora Studies Department at University of California, Berkeley. And next to me is Carson Bruno, a research fellow at Hoover Institution. He's on Twitter at Carson J.F. Bruno. If we accomplish nothing else here, eventually we'll get Dr. Taylor onto Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on. Hiding, to, I'm hiding. Uh, is James Taylor taken? Stay in the loader radar. <laughs> yeah, James Taylor's probably taken. So. Um, let's talk about the big issue, the, the issue that kind of has sobered up a lot of people in the country over the past week, and that is these shootings, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Minnesota, um, in Dallas last Thursday, was it, I believe? Um, so, I'll start with Carson and just move right on down. I mean, what do you make of this week? I've been downloading all this <laughs> weekend trying to figure out what is going on in this country of ours because it is very troubling in my opinion and I think in a lot of people's opinions. Um, and when I kind of boil it down into kind of what's happening, it, it seems like we are being presented, all of us, a false dichotomy of choices. You are either you know, pro-black and anti-cop, or anti-cop and pro-black, or, and, or vice versa. Yeah, you, you get where I'm going with that, right. Um, which I think is entirely false. I mean, you can be pro-cop and, and pro-black. It, it, it doesn't, being for one doesn't mean you're automatically against the other. And 
I feel like a lot in a, a lot of the cases, it's because there's really been no form of true leadership on this issue since mm -hmm. we started seeing this happening a year ago or so. Mm -hmm. um, our leaders are making it into a false choice. They're making it into an us versus them sort of choice. And I feel like that's a very sad state of our political system, of our leadership system, from the local level all the way up to, up to the White House in DC. And so I, it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that we find ourselves in, and one that increasingly is putting us into kind of ideological partisan corners, which is only making the situation worse and worse and worse. And it's a well-oiled tinderbox, I feel like, at this point. And it's, it's only going to get worse unless someone, unless both sides stand up and actually take true leadership and say, no, this is not a cops versus blacks issue. This is an American issue that we all need to be re really dealing with right now. For, for me, by the time the cop and the uh, young person meets each other in a situation, there's so much else that has already happened and failed, the two of them. Uh, structurally and socially, so that they are put in this position. I think Van Jones recently is trying to sort of find common ground between these two elements that you identify in terms of what they both are going through and the pressure, the, the, the scrutiny, the fears, the violence that they're, they, they've become accustomed to. They're, they're two, no two groups have more in common with each other than, than, than law enforcement and the besieged urban black community of young people. The violence, the, 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 the daily threat of violence of that law enforcement wake up with, yeah. their whole commitment is to getting home, and as a young person of color in communities uh, that are working class and poor, you have the same consciousness, I want to make it home. Uh, and so they have more in common with each other, but they can't see past, I think, that, and I think it's also a whole context and subtext of, of the structural questions. Our, our political institutions have lost support um, in, in, since the 1970s, going back to Nixon, uh, uh, globally, I think people lost faith in institutions globally, but in America, it happened around, around Watergate, um, where politi political cynicism increased and political trust decreased. And you can see this with all three of our popular branches are, 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 have low ratings. The Congress, I think, has, was, was single digits for a long time. Now they're happy they got like about 15%, whoopie doo. Um, and, and then you have the presidency, independent of who's in it, uh, has, is constantly lowly rated and lowly regarded. At, since Ike Eisenhower, nobody's really liked anybody. As Mitt Romney said, 47% don't like whoever, whoever comes every four years. 47% of Americans are not going to like that person, I think, because of what you allude to in terms of the, the polarization yes. that your colleague, Morris Fiorina, identifies down at, at Stanford with culture wars. Um, the polarization, I said this last time I was here, polarization, um, I think, is the, the shibboleth. Uh, under which so much of what we're experiencing uh, is underwritten. In other words, if our, lead if our political leadership class had any sort of working relationships, then they would be able to accomplish legislation to address the constant issues that we are facing. But because the red America and the blue America, and it's not racial, it's ideological, don't talk to each other, um, the, the, the political class and the law enforcement classes don't have to listen to anybody. Okay. Because nobody's in charge. Yeah. Let's let Melissa in here. In addition to the racial issues, which are obviously very clear here, um, there's a gun control issue that, that's, that's coming up. I mean, um, we forget that in the 60s and 70s, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
a number of gun control measures were protested by the black community because they thought that they were racially motivated, that you were sort of penalizing possession of guns in an effort to find new and inventive ways to, um, you know, to, to penalize the black community. Uh, and that had that sort of gone away, and then the gun rights issue became one of more of a conservative, uh, for the conservative folks, for, for white folks. Um, but but now what I'm really interested to see is how, look, if the, if the shooting of, a, of, of children in uh, Connecticut isn't going to get us there, then something we need to, then something needs to change. And maybe this is part of what that is, where we start saying, you know what, even, even conservatives can get behind um, people taking aim at police. Uh, and so maybe we're seeing a little bit of the, of the muddying, maybe a little bridge, um, so, so folks can, can start to, to consider and, and envision a world where we actually have some more controls over who has bomb-making equipment and, and guns and things like that. So that's the other thing that I'm looking, in addition to the racial stuff, which you guys have both addressed very well, um, that's the other thing that, that I hope um, people are thinking about as a result. The police chief, David Brown, earlier today, he said police officers are being put in a position where they need to deal with, quote, societal failures, unquote, for which they're not equipped, right? So they're dealing with mental health issues, they're dealing with drug addiction and such, that they're being put in these places. It's kind of like when we take our military and we say, oh, you're actually nation building. And they're like, you know, I was trained to point a gun. Um, He said, quote, policing was never meant to solve these problems. I ask other parts of our democracy, as well as the free press, to help us not put that burden all on law enforcement to resolve, unquote. Um, you, you, you've talked about you know, the, the lack of leadership and, and, and the lack of trust in the leadership institutions. Um, if there's going to be any inspiration to change this you know, on both sides, because we've now seen it kind of really blow up in our faces, um, where would it come from? I mean, and, and what could be done? And I know that's a very broad question. Please send us <laughs> a Lincoln. <laughs> but well, here's the thing. I mean, it's it. I I love your metaphor because that's so true. I mean, you can't say here go be a therapist. Here go be a social worker. And and we ask our teachers, I think, to do to fill in a lot of these gaps. And look, the the simple fact is we've. Uh, you know, since the 80s, been decimating the funding for other public institutions that might be helpful in this regard. Um, and and I think when we talk about the issue of homelessness, which we just we've just had like a, a massive sort of media blitz on homelessness in the Bay Area. Um, and you know, one of the things you have to talk about is you know the it, this happens, and we start raising our expectations of other public actors when we when we lose sort of the the structural framework. And it seems like um, I seem to remember the early '90s we passed a ballot measure um, for a, uh, a small little tax that was supposed to fund mental health in the state of California, and that has just been in the wind. No one knows where it is. It's all like you have to give it. It's very Soviet bureaucratic. You know, you got this committee that delegates it to this committee. It's a mess. It has not actually made much of any effect at all in the in the state of California. So what I think, you know, so obviously what we need are, um, you know, other institutions, other Ways of helping to deal with this uh, that are accountable, that are uh, that are not crazy bureaucracies, so that we can get people the help they need. And I think one source of leadership that you're talking about might be at the local level. I don't see it at the national level of politics, um, and perhaps 
you know, at the local level, you yourself might be able to identify some people who you admire here locally. And that's consistent with what happens in polling around uh, congressional leadership in general. For example, people think Congress is horrible, but they think Nancy Pelosi or Barbara Lee is the best thing since sliced bread. And, and perhaps that's, you know, part of what, what our assessment is. Um, and I have faith in a democracy. People have given up on the pushback of the democracy in terms of law enforcement, in terms of these issues. I, 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 have, faith in, I have faith in the wisdom of democracy in the long run to win out, as it always has so far. And I, I think- Even after this primary season? Donald, <laughs> I tell you what, if Donald, Trump, if Donald Trump loses, then I will recant. But if he wins, I mean, if he wins, I will own it. But if, uh, no, if he, if he wins, I'll recant. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, I'm so scared, I can't even say it right. That makes me nervous. No, but if he wins, I'll recant. But if he loses, I stand on, on, the do on democracy with a small d. I think a lot, of, it, there's a saying you know, in politics that all politics is local. But, and I think a lot of people, a lot of voters have kind of forgotten that, that just because you elect your congresswoman or man to DC or you elect you know, your senator to DC or you elect your state senator to Sacramento or whatnot, doesn't mean that they are completely abdicated from what is happening here locally. Mm -hmm. We're seeing on the housing issue, uh, we're seeing on many different issues. The, the mental health is an excellent example where th the impact of mental health funding is really at the local level, but it's dictated by Sacramento or by what's happening in DC. Um, it's not really being dictated by what's happening in City Hall here or in San Jose or wh wherever you might be. Uh, so I, I feel like a lot of times voters need to start to realize and put even more pressure on their congressmen, on their state senators, on their state assemblymen, as well as their, their city council members um, to really try to say, you know what, you have to stand up and you have to start to figure out what, what to do. It may not require state action, but if there is a state senator or a state assembly member uh, putting pressure on um, our city council members, stuff may start to actually occur. And don't we see in uh, a lot of elections, especially presidential elections, from the top of the ballot down, you have a uh, drop off of people who actually are filling out the things. Yeah. So they're not voting, at, you know, they're, they're out getting out there because they want to vote for or against Mitt Romney or whomever. It goes further, further down, they come across a bunch of names they've never paid attention to, or it's just city council, who cares, right? But of course, it's the city council that will affect, you know, what taxes they're paying, whether there's a police officer, whether it's a good police, all that kind of stuff. Um, so this I, is a, I, I wonder how please. much of that also is, again, just the general populace not demanding more of their, their local media. Yeah. Uh, because it's, as someone who studies this sort of stuff, it's really hard to find information about these people who are running for yeah. your local city council, let alone then the water districts and the fire <laughs> well, districts me, and all that sort be, of stuff. Uh, let me defend local media here for just a moment. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was not like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I felt it. No, and I know it. But, but here's the thing. If local media does something, uh, let's say we do a five-part series on uh, your local Congress people, and and so KPIX, for example, is Bay Area, right? It's not just San Francisco. Um, we've got you know all all the the, the nine counties. Um, we uh, you know we would run it, and the ratings would be absolute garbage. Like no one will watch it. Everyone always says, "Oh, media, why do you pay so much attention to Donald Trump?" Because people watch it. <laughs> the media you know, responds to what people will pay attention to. You can't feed them 
oatmeal <laughs> and expect them to come back. They're in the business. We are in the business of, of, you know, selling advertising based on views. And maybe that's a terrible system that should be changed, but yes. it is what it is. And while it is, um, you know, you can't expect the, it to be PBS. No, I, and I, I totally agree with that. That's why I feel like it needs to come from people like you guys who come to events like this to really try to force your neighbors and your friends to say, start paying attention to this sort of stuff. Start demanding it more from... Start eating your oatmeal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, you guys gave us a question that uh, is going to make lots of people mad. Isn't the problem with police and state violence, ha doesn't it have more to do with police unions and for-profit policing? We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. I guess someone read the, uh, the, the San Francisco police report, the <laughs> autopsy that came out today. And we'll get into that a little later, yeah. Um, Please restate the question. <laughs> yeah. uh, doesn't the problem with police and state violence have more to do with police unions and for-profit policing? I don't know much about for-profit policing, uh, but, but the police unions, um, you know, whether we're talking about the Corrections Corporations of America, um, the California Corrections Officers and Peace Officers Union is the most powerful union in the state of California, or one of the two top you know, unions in the, in the state. They're, they're powerful. We saw Patrick Kelly uh, turn the NYPD against the, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, last December when they turned their back on him publicly more than once, if you remember. That's power. Um, and Pat Kelly is speaking out into, into this environment. Um, and there's no humility, there's no let's make reconciliation, there's no uh, blue and, and black reconciliation, let's find common ground, there's none of that in New York. It's doubling down and saying Eric Garner was resisting and deserved the choke out that he got and things of that sort. So um, people are heartbroken in Dallas. And what's really profound, and again, you may not appreciate this, but as soon as Dylan Roof shot and 
the mass killing in Charleston, South Carolina. Before the, before the first half hour of the shooting, a, a note came out to the national media to say, we forgive him. As so, I mean, his, the, the parents weren't even dead. The blood was still warm. And their family sent out the message to America, we forgive this boy. I, I, I know what that's grounded in. That's grounded in the black Protestant tradition that Martin Luther King and a whole lot of other people we both know represent, even Amos Brown here in San Francisco. Um, you know, that, that, that's very powerful. Um, and yet, I can't imagine it would be accepted in this country if one of the families came out right now and said to Micah Xavier Johnson, we forgive you, in Christian Dallas, Texas, where the Bible belt and the Bible is strong. Black folk forgave in Charleston. Nobody's forgiven this boy in Dallas. And he's their creature, their creation. He was trained by them, equipped and educated by them. He used state-sanctioned, uh, state-trained uh, violence against state-sanctioned, state-trained violence. And if you really pull away from what happened, independent of the citizens and cops, black and blue, you had soldiers against soldiers. That was a fair fight, except that he, he, you know, except by the element of surprise. And they responded in kind in a military way, not in some civilian law enforcement way. They blew him up with a one pound C, uh, C was it C2, was it? C4, C, thank you, C4 bomb. Are you, are you okay with that? As Americans, that the American government, again, they, they said two black people that last, two nights ago were guilty of this crime. One, we know they said was guilty, Mr. Hughes, Houston, turned out to be innocent. And then they kept his picture on the Dallas uh, web, PD webpage all day yesterday, and they refused to say this man is innocent. He's in hiding now because Dallas PD just now came around to saying he's innocent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that struck me as perhaps Ironic, it sounds like I'm trying to make a joke out of it, and I'm not. But one of the ironic things of this happening in Dallas is that wasn't Dallas doing a lot of, the police department doing a lot of the things that people have been asking for police to because do? Because of T. Brown. Right. I mean, he's, he's exceptional. I mean, he, he's outstanding. As a, I don't agree with his decision. Uh, I violently disagree with that decision, but I listened to him on the way here. And he's from the neighborhood. He's from the community. He's from the bottom. Just like here in Oakland, we have uh, Daniel Outlaw, who is a deputy police officer uh, in the Oakland Police Department. With all the scandal they have going there, they have a black woman who's more than qualified to run the department of Oakland PD. But for, for some reason, Libby Shaft and others won't, won't, won't tap her office. She'll get to her pretty soon. I, I hope so, because, <laughs> because Daniel Outlaw, much like uh, Chief Brown, comes from Oakland, from the community, from the bottom. She worked her way up through the scout program, what they have for young people, and then becomes a, a deputy chief of, of police, and almost became a chief of police, I think, of Fayetteville, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. She was the number two candidate, and yet we have all this scandal in Oakland, no, no, no looking at her, and yet with Chief Brown, again, the gift that he presents is there's a sense of authenticity he brings to the table because he comes from the community, and they know, even though he has to enforce the law, they, that he has their best interest at heart. And what most people don't understand is that there's a current in black community, even in the worst ones of conservatism, where people renounce this stuff. If you're stuck in those communities, you can't get out, but you surely are not welcoming those conditions. You're not welcoming drive-by shootings. You're not welcoming nine millimeters. You're not welcoming everyday uh, policing where in Ferguson, every family, every family in the black community in Ferguson had three warrants. How many warrants do you have in your family? 
Well, and, you, and you also, I hope, probably saw that story. Uh, the man who was killed in Minnesota uh, had been stopped. Yeah, Phil Castile. Phil Castile, thank you. Had been, he had previously been stopped like something like 50 times. $6,000 in tickets. Yeah. And, see, he did, and he did not make San Francisco's salary. And, and see, what's really frightening about this is the more, according to a Stanford University study by two women psychologists recently, just last year, the more whites, listen to this, and you have to look this up for yourself, the more whites from San Francisco and New York are told about these things, the more they support the policies that create them. That's a, that's a study done at Stanford University last year by two women psychologists that the more liberal whites in San Francisco and New York are exposed to the inequalities, the inequities, the more they support them. Okay. It's this sort of not in my backyard phenomenon. I, I've got a question from the audience that sort of well, takes no, off. I didn't come here. I, wasn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't come. I came sincerely, but I didn't come to offend. Uh, an audience member asked, and, uh, uh, this issue was accentuated during the Clinton administration. The general decline of democracy and integrity in government began with Bill and Hillary Clinton. Will America continue on this self-serving leaders list pack? Carson, <laughs> he did his best to pick it up. <laughs> it might have become with like Martin Van Buren. Like, I think it goes like way, right, 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 way right. back before right. that. Um, but I, I do want to, uh, to the previous question though, I, I do want to just add in, this is one of the interesting fault lines among progressives, right? Um, and we're talking about this in the green room a bit, where, you know, um, very, very pro-union, except police, <laughs> except maybe the building trades because they're super, in, you know, in favor of development. And they, but we're really good with the service employee unions because they agree with us. And so, you know, we're going to say we love all unions just because, like, we actually really love this one particular subset of public employees. Um, but, but when you think about, again, fault lines, conservatives who may be rethinking um, gun control, uh, you know, maybe some liberals rethinking public employee unions uh, based on this, and maybe not wholesale, but at least for some, um, for some sectors, uh, you know, pointing to that. And so I have plenty of friends who are Democrats who are, who say, yeah, yeah, like, yes, public, you know, unions are good for, for private sectors, but they're just not, uh, you know, appropriate in the public sector because you have, you know, sort of a bottomless purse and, <laughs> and unaccountable leaders. So, uh, so, you know, maybe, you know, sort of on the Republican side, you sort of got one thing that they need to look at maybe on the, on the sort of liberal or progressive side, there's a, there's an additional, uh, an, an additional sort of overarching philosophy to, to really think about. Let's move on to the presidential campaign. You might have heard about this. It's going on. Um, we're selecting a president. We've about this. It's like yes, yes. Um, and, and in particular, of course, a week from today, the uh, Republican National Convention begins. I believe it's the following Monday, uh, the Democratic National Convention begins. So, you know, line up your popcorn and wine or whatever, because it's going to be fun. Um, but let's actually start with kind of the lead-in. Uh, tomorrow, Bernie Sanders is expected to endorse Hillary Clinton, um, either finally or, oh darn it, depending on where your views are on that. But um, I thought it was interesting, was it, I think, either last week or the week before, uh, both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump made trips to Congress. So Bernie Sanders met with House Democrats, Donald Trump met separately with with House Republicans and, and Senate Democrats. Excuse me, Senate Republicans. Um, they were rather interesting. I, I don't know if you got that news in Croatia, but uh, <laughs> what do you make of that? I mean, that that is is for example, does Bernie Sanders have a message there 
as a candidate yet, or is he now, for example, having to, is he now a surrogate for Clinton? Well, I've been, I've been saying this for a, a really long time. I think really since Bernie Sanders got into the race, he, I think, to be, to be honest, I think his success was really a surprise to him, um, to be honest. But um, he, he got into the race for the issues, for the issues he cares about a lot. Issue. Um, issue, yeah. <laughs> there, are more, there are a few. I guess there are deviations of one another. But um, he cares about, he cares about yeah. it. He cares about what he stands for, what he's always stood for. He hasn't really gotten much done in his time in D.C., but he stands for what he stands for. Um, and... I think he was really trying. He he knew that the Clintons are a a, a wily bunch. That they <laughs> looking at you, Melissa. <laughs> but um, they 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 triangulate. That, yep. That's that's what they do, and they do it very well. Um, and they've been very successful at it in their entire careers. Um, so he wanted to make sure that Hillary Clinton stayed the course with what he cared about. Um, and it's been the entire kind of theme of his entire, his entire presidential campaign thus far. And as long as he is still a candidate, as long as he has not fully endorsed her, he still carries a lot of weight. He, carry, he still carries a lot of uh, panache. He, he still can demand things from, from DC. Tomorrow he becomes irrelevant. I, I think so. I'm actually, I'm actually quite surprised they're doing it as soon as they are. Really? Yes. I, I thought he was going to hold out until at least the convention yeah. was near over uh, so that he could make sure that there was no kind of last minute decisions made by the platform committee, made by the rules committee, made by XYZ committee uh, at the convention to really ensure that Clinton was locked down in what he wanted her to be locked down in. And I, th I really think that his meeting with the House Democrats uh, really was to kind of say, look, I, I expect these things from you, um, and you better give them to me. Um, and I, largely, he's been very successful in this endeavor. He's really changed the tone uh, on the Democratic side. He's really changed the issues that um, they've been talking about. Um, and he's really forced Clinton to say things that I guarantee she did not want to have to say um, during this whole course because if it were anyone else but Trump, she would be in a lot of trouble because of some of the yeah. things that she has positioned herself on um, uh, when it comes to just appealing to the, to the masses, to the middle of America. Well, um, let's face so. it, Sanders was waiting to see if she was yeah, going to get arrested. Right. Well, okay. What did you call it? The indictment? Yeah. <laughs> 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 is something? Like, he was like, oh, hey, darn it. going to jail, <laughs> maybe. Okay, not. Okay, fine. I guess I'll... I guess I'll endorse her. The indictment primary she, he lost. That's yeah, right. exactly, exactly. So what, what did you think of the, you bring it up, the FBI, uh, it's not an exoneration, but it's a... Uh... We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Hi, I'm Marsha Levine, and I'm the parade manager for San Francisco Pride. About working for San Francisco Pride or really any Pride is that you're creating a space, a venue, an opportunity for somebody who lives someplace where they're not as free to be LGBT to come out, be with others, like them, identify, and feel a sense of community as well as freedom. If Pride can do that for just one person, 
and make them feel a part of something instead of making them feel like they're alone. That's why I continue to work on Pride to this day. I think that San Francisco especially is a freelancer's dream. It's one of the best cities where you can come and you can work on contract for as little or as much as you want to. It's a, a big part of what I do to be able to afford to live in San Francisco. Saving's really important. San Francisco is not an inexpensive place to live. And when you have extraordinary circumstances cropped up, uh, like illness or other expenses, repairs and things like that, if you don't have the savings that could really affect your ability to remain a viable member of San Francisco's residents. Spotlight on success and achievement, brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. <laughs> Someone in the audience says whitewash. Uh, whitewash. But they, they, he has said, and, and there are a number of legal experts, not your legal well, expert. Was there a case he there? He politically was... indicted, but Donald Trump wasted two days yeah. playing around about his hair and all this other stuff when he should have been pouncing on the moment when it was most raw. Yeah. He blew it. He had an opportunity, and I think he blew it, Trump. Tell me who is a Republican, um, at least I guess, well, until recently, I guess he renounced his party affiliation, but many people have. Um, he, you know, which, which again helps, you know, I think, I think, you know, people understand that, that it was, you know, he was trying to be more impartial and he sort of gave some red meat to the conservatives and then sort of let her off the hook for the, the Democrats. Um, he said that the, the reason, like the two factors they looked at was the amount of evidence, the amount of, of sort of classified material that was, uh, that was improperly used was small, right? It's like a less than a dozen emails. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Give or take nuclear codes. Who cares? Uh, it's a tiny. No, no. I, but I'm not. I'm not defending her. But um, and then and he said uh, and also the intent. You know, for, for whatever reason, she and her and her and her team had convinced him, I guess, sufficiently that they didn't mean to do any of this. But 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 and again, in my non-defense of the Clintons, understand this: the kind of hubris it takes <laughs> to be like Secretary of State at Yahoo.com. What could go wrong? I'll just have my own. Oh, like, like that's cool. Oh, Loretta Lynch is next door. I'm gonna go have a chat with her, like here at the airport. Like, what are you thinking? Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of people, even Democrats, who want to like Hillary Clinton and want to support her more, but but they just don't let you because they keep doing things like this. That you're like, why are why did you do that? How did you think you could get away with that? It drives you crazy. So you have Barbara Lee coming out this week, I think today too, endorsing her, and Elizabeth Warren last week, and now Bernie Sanders is sort of shoring up the old DNC, you know, the, the, the old New Deal Great Society wing of the party. And I think people forget that Jesse Jackson, for, what, for better and for worse, ran to challenge not simply Reagan, but the centrist drift of the Democrats as he understood Clinton's intentions. So Jesse was running against this, 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 this move to the right. And I think Bernie understood that this was a war for the soul of the party to the extent that Hillary represents its centrist orientation and not its liberal uh, or progressive orientation, except on women's issues and children's issues. Uh, she's liberal there, but she's conservative and even neoconservative on, on a lot of other issues. And so, and, and this, 
This was a, a fact I think was kind of brushed over because of what was happening on, on the Republican side, that you did see a very dramatic shift in the Democratic primary electorate from 2008. Um, you saw a shift toward strong majorities toward liberal, uh, to voters saying that they were self-classifying themselves as liberals, uh, which you saw in the Republican side, you know, 2004-esque uh, around that, that election, but um, you saw a massive shift in from 2008 to 2016. So it, it's, it's very apparent that amongst the Democratic rank and file voters, that this was an issue that they really wanted to be having discussed at the presidential level. Um, but the candidates themselves weren't really the people that, that the options weren't presented to them. Um, so it's not surprising that Sanders did as well as he did um, in retrospect. Uh, when he first you know, announced, it was kind of like, what? What, what are you, what, why? But, but I, don't think, I don't think anybody is happily endorsing her. Uh, on the left. I don't think Elizabeth Warren was excited about it, even though she has to go public and say she was. Barbara Lee is not excited about it. Anybody in quotes is probably a stretch. Right. I'm sure there are plenty of, of enthusiastic, especially of the, the there's a, a generation and a, an yeah. affiliation of, of folks for whom she is, you know, they, they understand her and like her. For sure. Yeah. So, and that, that's kind of been a Sorry, but I mean, that's kind of been a Sanders right. complaint of like, oh, well, you can settle for Hillary or go with your heart for, right. for him. Right. I, I think it's kind of insulting to the folks who actually yeah. agree with her on the issues and say, yeah. you know, like Melissa, it's like, we have, you know, we wish you wouldn't keep doing this kind of thing. Right. But actually, yeah. yeah, we're excited about I that. I agree. So. Um, so Donald Trump also went to Congress had one of my favorite uh, meetings with the uh, Senate Democrats. <laughs> and someone once described the senator, you know, 100 senators. Did I say Democrats? <laughs> that would have been a good one, actually. <laughs> he met with, thank you, he met with uh, Senate Republicans. And someone once was describing, you know, the Senate is basically made up with, of 100 people, all of whom think they can be president, right? They're not cowed by the president, and they're certainly not cowed by someone a lot of them are worried could cost them a the majority in the Senate and possibly even their own seats. Well, he gets into an argument with uh, Senator Flake from Arizona. And he starts off basically by saying, well, you, what was it? You, you've been critical of me. And yeah. Flake says, yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, brings up again some of these criticisms of what Trump has said, including his insults. I think uh, Flake said, yes, I'm the, I'm the senator from Arizona who was not captured, and that's, what I, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. In other words, to go after Trump on some of his, his more outrageous insults. And Trump then basically said, well, I haven't gone after you much, but I, <laughs> I could. Um, and so this continued on, and Trump basically then said, well, you know, you're... Uh, you're you're a loser, you're gonna lose your re-election bid. Yeah, yeah. And Flake said, I'm not up for re-election. <laughs> <laughs> then he went to other senators and started arguing with them as well. Yeah, yeah. so it, I mean, it was, it was, it was a win. <laughs> it was winning. Sad. Yes. Um, he did well with House, Demo with House Republicans, uh, yes, though. Yes, that is true. They say the ones that liked him going in liked him coming out, but the senators were not feeling him at all. Small bun, so, <laughs> I mean. Um, so what can we expect at this convention uh, for the Republican convention first. Is there still a dump Trump movement that has any power? Are we likely to see any of that, do you think? And 
you're, you were shaking, you're nodding your head. <laughs> Melissa? Uh, yes. First of all, I'm going. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I started packing in December. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, I have a gas mask and all sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be dicey, <laughs> especially with a media pass. Like, no, no likey. So um, here's the thing. Um, the Rules Committee is meeting this week, and the Rules Committee, again, sort of comes up with the rules, as you might imagine. And um, they in order to get something in front of the whole delegation and for, and for sort of all the delegates, like 2,500 delegates, the full arena full of folks, you have to go through the Rules Committee. So what um, is underfoot right now is this Rules Committee, which is made up of about 112 people. You need 28 of them to, to get to something called the Minority Report. And so there's a group afoot, like the Dump Trump folks are trying to get this Minority Report through the Rules Committee. They just need those 28 votes. And if they get them, it will go, something will go to the full sort of floor of, of 2,500 delegates. And the, the thing they're trying to get through is something called the conscience clause. And the conscience clause basically says, like, forget who you're bound to, vote your conscience, and not Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't, they don't really contemplate anyone like voting for Donald Trump out of their conscience. So, um, so they're trying to get this through the committee. And Yesterday, they said they had the 28 votes. Now, this is going to be public. This is actually going to be on C-SPAN, too. And because they're at the Commonwealth Club, I know y'all have it. <laughs> so this Thursday and Friday, watch. Because it's going to be public. It's going to be on TV. The committee is going to vote on whether to have this conscience clause be submitted to the full complement of delegates. And again, they only need 28 votes. And again, now they think that they have them. Um, if that were to happen, if they were to get through the committee and they whole sort of, you know, all the delegates got to vote, um, it could pass. Uh, a, a, recent, uh, a recent study by a Trump supporter actually um, showed that about 900 of the delegates are on the fence, right? Um, the rest are sort of evenly split between sort of never and Definitely. Uh, and there's 900 in the middle. That's a big, mushy middle. So um, so it is definitely possible. I mean, think about it. You're going to an arena full of people being like, everybody who wants to do whatever you want, say aye. You know, like, it's not the hardest sell, right? So um, if it were to get through the, the Rules Committee, uh, again, as a minority report, it, it could pass on the floor, and in which case... Um, holy moly, it was nice knowing you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for all the time here at Commonwealth Club. But uh, it's it would be a total mess. So there is a possibility. Now, and again, but it really relies on that group in the Rules Committee to come up with the 28 votes if they, if they can't. And everyone on the Rules Committee is just getting bombarded right now. I have a friend who's on it, and like I'm hearing all sorts of things about harassment. Not har she, didn't, she didn't say harassment, no. but I say harassment. Lobbying, aggressive lobbying. Um, um, again, because everyone, you know, because the, the membership is public, again, the meeting is going to be public, the vote is going to be public. So, um, you know, anyone, uh, you know, who's interested in like making sure their house is safe, their kids are safe, things like that are, are really, um, you know, having to think about those kind of things at this moment. So, anyway, to answer your question, yes, there is a possibility. And a, and a big development that occurred this afternoon was a Virginia judge ruled that a Virginia state law, Commonwealth law, um, that says that delegates to both parties, just not, not just Republicans, but both parties, there's a, there's a, so there's a law in Virginia that says that delegates to that state, to, to, for that state, to the national convention, must vote for the bounded person that they're, they're allotted to vote for. Otherwise, it's something like 
12 months in jail and $6,000 fine. It's pretty extreme, actually. What do you in um, for? Well. So a never, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> election law can be, there's still some absurd things in election law when you really start to drill down to it. But a never Trump uh, delegate uh, sued the state and a judge said, no, the state, uh, state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia cannot. Did they rule um, on constitutional grounds or state law grounds? That I'm, not, sort of too, that I'm not sure about, actually. Okay, so, so, But there are other states that have these rules that say, no, you have to do this. Otherwise, you can be thrown in jail or fined. Right. Now, what prosecutor is really going to go do that? But still, now, it's, enough to scare, has, it has that, it's enough to scare. It's has a law people. saying you shall vote, uh, you know, for the, you know, whoever wins. But it's not clear what the, what the enforcement right. is. Yeah. Like, you know, you go, okay, well. I did it anyway. <laughs> Sue me. Arrest me when I land in, at SFL. Yeah. Um, but the damage would have been done by that but point. Because, because we now see that you know, the judges are willing to, like, yeah, no, that, 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 that's not really a, that can't be a law. Um, it might embolden the, the never Trumpers, the dump Trumps, um, once, once they get to Cleveland um, to be able to do so. The problem is, though, then what? Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they're, they're not agreeing on kind of a, a, a savior white horse candidate. They're, John Kasich, who won his home state. Right. But there's also Cruz. And only his home state, I might point out. <laughs> but there's also Senator Cruz. There's also Mitt Romney. There's also Speaker Ryan. I mean, there's a lot of coalitions within the dump Trump, so the never Trump group, that, that really are at odds with one another. Yes, there are a lot of other people yeah. who will never be president. But exactly. I would imagine that movement gets new energy at the convention if Donald Trump announces it. Is it General Kelly that he's considering? Oh, yeah. Michael uh, Flynn? Flynn, Flynn, Flynn. I'm sorry, Flynn. I apologize. Yeah, Flynn. Flynn. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Flynn. Explain who, who he is. Who's, I he's apparently, I don't know a lot about him. Apparently, he's a, a, a pro choice Democrat. That's going to be the, one of the two or three people being vetted by Donald Trump. So I can't imagine conservatives are okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Trump does so well with the evangelicals on his own. He doesn't <laughs> need. No, I'm kidding. No, he totally needs. Uh, but now they're saying uh, Mike Pence, the Indiana yeah. governor, yeah. Mike Pence. Who's, which which who, is not good. Didn't he have some scandal last year in his state where they tried to come up with an anti-LGBT law that just the backlash was just so fierce? He, he rescinded it. Remember that? Yeah. Fi fix this now. Yeah. That was the headline. Yeah. Yeah, and he responded. Now. So that's just probably not good for them, you know, coming from red Indiana. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He seems to be the, uh, the, the front runner now. Having said that, though, really anybody but Trump would do. Because here's the thing. It's not I, I, I don't think it's necessarily at this point about winning the presidency as it is keeping the Senate, right? They're just like, can we just like White House? Okay, fine, done. <laughs> but we can't, but there's potential, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg the other day said there's up, there's up to three justices that the next president is going to have to appoint. And she's one of them. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> she didn't say that, but. Thomas, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she's, so, I mean, you got to keep the houses, right? You got to keep the Senate and you got to keep the House of Representatives, which even that with, with the Democrats in need of more than 30 seats um, is now kind of, you know, in question with Trump at the top of the ticket. They're like, just put anybody, just literally like Donald Duck, like whatever, <laughs> just like somebody at the top of the ticket that everyone doesn't hate. Uh, so we can like preserve the Senate and the House at least. So if you start thinking about the, the sort of the options as not so much let's find somebody who could win the presidency as let's find someone who won't lose everything, uh, then, then the list gets a little longer. <laughs> How about Ivanka? <laughs> they were shopping Ivanka in the yeah, last two yeah, days. Yeah. My daughter, my sister's cute, so she'd be a good VP. Yeah. 
Whoa. Yeah, yeah, the daughter who he said he might date if she weren't oh, the daughter. Yeah. Lord, the evangelicals have a lot to answer for. <laughs> okay. That's deep. So, someone in the audience oh, asks, to yeah. what extent do you think Donald Trump will try to retaliate against officials and politicians and the media as well uh, who try to prevent him from becoming the nominee for the Republican Party? Um, he has a history with threatening media persons. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. He likes to say he's going to sue, right? In the USA Today yeah. study. He does. I mean, he, he likes to say a lot of things. <laughs> and he, yeah, he gets on Twitter. He you know, gets in Twitter wars with Rosie O'Donnell or you know, name, the, name the person. And, but he doesn't ever really do anything afterward, probably because it's not worth the amount of money that he actually but, but, says he's worth. But, but what, so, like, again, why would anyone be afraid of him when it comes to that sort of stuff? Because he has a, a, a repeated pattern of threatening things and then backing off. He's yeah. a classic bully yeah. in that sense. He has a long memory. If, yeah. if you listen to him engage individuals, he tells them about his relationship to them. I remember you when, or you, you're okay. You know, he already has it made in his mind how he would receive you or receive you based on what little information he got on you before he came to the Commonwealth Club, if he ever would come. Mm-hmm. Um, he just seems to have that. And that's the one thing I, I, I guess I would say I admire about Donald Trump is he knows who his enemies are. And he's identified who his major critics are. And he keeps up. This is bad in the Nixon sense, but he keeps a list of, 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 you know, of people who've been very critical of him. And he tells them at a certain point, you were, you were really you know, rude to me. And, uh, but that's all he does, though. Mm-hmm. He just tells them mm-hmm. or tweets it out or does something in that regard um, uh, that you don't like me. I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah. I wish Great. I could get into a fight with Donald Trump. My Twitter followers would go uh, someone asks, I'm worried, or says, I'm worried about guns at the Republican convention in Cleveland. You're going, you're going to wear a black jacket? Uh, I should, if anyone has one. <laughs> Size, whatever, we'll tell you later. Uh, the, uh, no, no, I mean, are, who's going? Is somebody going? 
Anyone here? Go, anyone gone? Um, so the uh, no, well, there there was a move to like the Republicans actually had to consider whether to allow people to bring guns into the arena. They decided against it. Few, um, but uh, but still, then there's the outside of the arena, which is actually where everything's going to be taking place in terms of protesters and conflict and things like that. So um, there are a number of Republican uh, delegates who have said they're going to bring their guns with them and carry them to restaurants and other events outside of the convention space. So, huh, fun. Plus, the $50 million that the federal government gave to Cleveland for sort of anti-terror, <laughs> uh, let's say, uh, prevention. Uh, it, you know, there's going to be a, a lot going on there. I, uh, I have to say, again, I, as a member of the media, I am nervous. Um, but uh, because, the, like, you just don't know. There's going to be groups. There's, there's the anti-Trump group. There's the who of, of liberals. There's the anti-Trump group of conservatives. And then there's the pro-Trump people. Then there's the police, and then there's the National Guard and, and Lord. Black, and uh, Black Lives Matter. Who's well, in Cleveland? Well, I just mean, but also yeah. I, I, I consider that as part of like yeah. the anti-Trump. Yeah. Um, but so there's going to be just sort of you know you you feel like you're sort of in um, five points in uh, in, in New York and the, the gangs of New York, York you know <laughs> like and you're just like over here like I just want to take a picture with my iPhone you know <laughs> like uh, it's it's definitely going to be uh, a, a, a bit scary but my husband's going to be there with me and I assume he will um, at least like yell mean things at people who are mean to me. <laughs> since uh, since uh, last year, um, or maybe the last two years, they've been in constant protest in Cleveland. Even tonight, there's a protest in Cleveland uh, around the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and so Cleveland PD has been at the center of it with Tamir Rice. And I think in the suburbs of Cleveland, where the young man was shot at Walmart, um, John Crawford. Um, so Cleveland PD has been a, you know, they shot a, two black people driving a car unarmed 137 times. They've been the, the focus of police protests. So I think they're prepared based on the fact that this is nothing new for them except the pitch and the level of intensity with all the media, I think. But you can't. Um, underestimate the value to law enforcement to have the practice for the past two years of preparing for this kind of stuff. Uh, if, heaven forbid, Trump were elected president, those of you on the radio, I'm reading this. This is not my own. <laughs> if, heaven forbid, Donald Trump were elected president, what are the chances he would blow off the presidency? We've kind of touched on this in uh, previous programs. Does he really actually even want to be president? My husband has been saying from day one that this is kind of like Bernie Sanders, like you said, like he did not think that this was going to get so real. Uh, and that at some point he'd be like, you know what, this is actually really horrible and I don't like this. <laughs> and you know what, I've, my brand is what it is. I've increased my net worth. I've increased my real net worth. I've increased my imaginary net worth. Uh, I've increased all of it. I know I'm worth a trillion dollars. Uh, so you know what? This is kind of a headache and I kind of don't want to get involved. And at the very least, it makes his VP pick pretty important yeah, <laughs> since that nice. person may have a very real shot of being the first person to become president because of a resignation. Well, I, think, I, think, I think Americans have to brace themselves now for the reality that Donald Trump is one of the two people who might become president. I think we have to like mentally process that now and not react in November to, to it as a possibility. Well, and, and right along those lines. And I think we, we need to understand the same way in London. There that, was this that's just what I was going to go to. Like, yeah. Oh, we did that for real? And yeah. now there's this, you know, they want to have a, they want to have a three, you know, three million people want to re-vote. No, you can't re-vote for the presidency. Once Trump is in, he's in. Yeah. And we are, we are stuck with it for four years unless he's impeached. And 
And when you have two candidates that are both as disliked as they both are, I mean, it's not like yeah, Hillary yeah, Clinton's like a Barack yeah. Obama who, yeah. even even when he was running for re-election, he, he wasn't beloved like he was in 2008, but he still had a fairly decent, favor, favorable rating, um, a fairly decent approval rating. Hillary Clinton is not like that. She she is just as unliked as Donald Trump yeah. is in some polls, um, maybe marginally better in yeah. others. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a sort of thing where, yeah, Clinton is the favorite at this point. There's no doubt about that. Um, but crazy things can happen. Yeah, I, I, I would no, I no longer. I am. I would no longer be surprised if Donald Trump becomes president. I was maybe four or five months ago, but now if Don, I, I would not be surprised. If Donald Trump became president, and I'll tell you why. This is more about California politics. In 1994, uh, in 1992, you had the Los Angeles uprisings and riots. Remember? In 1994, you had the OJ stuff that they're showing now. But in 1996, the California electorate, I argue, rioted back. They didn't riot out in the streets with the community when it rioted in reaction to the police. They rioted at the, at the polls. And, and, and I'm afraid that with the current situation, with the violence we see in the streets, with Donald Trump saying, I'm Richard Nixon and I'm representing the silent moral majority of white America, that we have to put these people back in line. We need order in America. That's what Nixon says. And now Trump is coming out and saying this. And, and it seems to me that you know, we're, we're at a situation where Donald Trump could be elected as a part of that backlash, that resentment, that again, 1992, white people saw what happened. They expressed 70% 70, 70 opposition to the verdict of O.J. Simpson. They were really angry. I was in Southern California. They were angry statewide. And then here we are, 92, but 96 came around. The electorate said affirmative action, gone. And it's gone, and it has not come back. That is what, uh, what I'm afraid of, is that the silent majority of whites who are irritated by these things uh, will be inspired by Trump to go ahead and vote for Trump to punish, to, to riot back in response to Ferguson, Baltimore, everything we've been seeing this week. I'm convinced that white people will go into those polls and vote for Donald Trump under these circumstances. Does anybody disagree with me? Oh. Some do. Okay. Well, see, I, I, actually, I, think, I think our one saving grace is the Electoral College, luckily. Yes. And that's why I, I think the people who want to get rid of the Electoral College, no, this is designed to prevent yes. massive emotion major, majority, or what, we, what you might want to call it, um, against making rash decisions like this. Um, the, the one saving grace in this regard is the Electoral College. Yeah. It, it, it makes that situation yeah. a lot, lot more difficult. Donald Trump for Americans to finally so say, yes, yes. you know, the Electoral College makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, next, he'll like somehow make us like daylight savings time next. I was saying, just thank God for the wisdom of the framers, you know, the wisdom. Yeah, you gotta believe that some Republicans are like, man, I wish we had some super delegates. <laughs> I love <Okay>. them. <laughs> Before we move on, just a little bit more. Someone actually asked, why are we still talking about Trump? Well, so what do you think about the whole hullabaloo about Donald Trump and the Star of David? Now, uh, did you all see this? Uh, it was all over the place. He, re he retweeted or tweeted out an image showing Hillary Clinton with a background of lots of money cascading behind her and um, a Star of David with the words, I think, most corrupt politician or something like that. Um, turns out that that exact image or most of it had appeared first on a white supremacist website. 
And so he then uh, was trying to, you know, oh, well, no, it's not a Star of David. It's, a, it's like a sheriff's badge, which I loved because someone then tweeted a photo of a cemetery showing all the Star of Davids on the, uh, the, the graves and just said, oh, look, a cemetery full of sheriffs. Then he said it was like one of the uh, an image on a fro- on the coloring book for the color for the yes. cartoon Frozen. He said he said oh so Frozen is anti-Semitic uh, because there was a star that was similar on the cover of a coloring book. Uh, Teflon candidate or did that? I don't stick? know if it's Teflon or if it's just like the bar is so low. It's like <laughs> well, okay. Like was anyone? Sh- Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.